Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And right now, without further ado, here he is, ladies and gentlemen, back from fly fishing, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How good are morning. you, my I'm friend? I'm great. Yep, I did have a good week fly fishing on the Teton River up there by, out of Driggs, Idaho. Oh, my. Neat experience. Beautiful country up there, too. You know that. So, What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about a guy. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb and say that I'm going to bet not hardly anybody has heard of this guy. His name is Mike Tovey. T-O-V-E-Y. Never. Mike Tovey. Nope. Okay, so let's talk about him. So Wells Fargo and the Companies Express was one of the most important businesses on the western frontier. The company began as a local mail delivery service during the California Gold Rush in 1852, and uh, a time when the U.S. Post Service was all but non-existent in the mining camps, and we didn't have much. And the other thing that was great is Wells Fargo was safe, and unlike the post office, if you lost something, they made up for it. All the losses were made up if you lost something that was being guarded by Wells Fargo. Really? So it, Back in those days? Yeah. So it grew rapidly throughout the West, connecting the big towns, the small towns, and eventually, of course, became the country's largest express carrier. Now, obviously, the robbers followed the money, and during the late 1850s, stagecoach holdups became very, very common in California because of all the gold, you know. So Wells Fargo began hiring armed guards, and they were later called shotgun messengers. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to explain that in a minute. Okay. And these guys were to accompany the treasure shipments, and contrary to popular belief, they did not guard stagecoaches. They were there to protect the Wells Fargo strong boxes. They really didn't guard the stagecoach, even though that's what they were on. And the t- well, What about the passengers? Well, you know, in the course of things, I'm sure they helped protect them. Yeah. But really, their job was to guard the strong boxes, really? the money. Huh. Now, the title, Shotgun Messenger, did not come into popular use until the 1870s. And the term riding shotgun and shotgun rider was actually invented by 20th century novelists and actually was unknown in the Old West. So the real term was shotgun messenger. So riding shotgun really was not the term that was used. Now, by the mid-1870s, the company had 35 shotgun messengers. That number grew to 110 in the 1880s and then 200 by 1885. By 1918, the company employed 3,000 shotgun guards. Now, at this time, they were mostly on trains Mm -hmm. on the railroads. Mm -hmm. And every Wells Fargo rail car had at least one armed messenger and a lot of time a helper. So a lot of times they didn't even have two guys. Now, of these guards, Wells Fargo Chief Detective James B. Hume explained, quote, In all my experience, there has never been an occasion when a regular shotgun messenger showed the white feather, no matter what the odds against him or the promise of danger might be, they are the kind of men you can depend on if you get in a fix with the certainty that they will pull you through or stay by you to the last. White so feather. the term, I've never heard that I've term. I've never heard that. Showed the white feather. 
So really? I thought that was an interesting... Uh, I've heard wave the white flag, but yeah, never the, the white, white feather. feather. Yeah. So the shotgun messengers who rode for Wells Fargo in the Wild West, they were expected to risk their lives to protect the company's treasure boxes. I don't know how much they got paid, but it probably wasn't enough. Their work was dangerous, and between 1855 and 1915, at least 53 of these Wells Fargo expressmen, most of them the messengers, died in the line of duty. No 53 of them. Wow. Yeah. Now, and the statistics go on. It says 19 were slain by outlaws or bandits. Four were accidentally shot. Four more died in shipwrecks and steamboat explosions. Now, you don't think of those guys being on boats, really, do you? I mm, mean, uh, a no, ship or, or a steamboat. But, yeah. you know, Wells Fargo obviously had now, did they Their job, did they have to, when they were on these boats and trains, stay right in the car and or on the, on the boat right next to the... Well, I'm I'm just going to assume they did okay. because they I mean obviously that was their job yeah. so uh, uh, so some of them perished in train wrecks you know I mean trains would crash uh, but few of them took as many risks as a guy by the name of Mike Tovey okay now. Uh, born in Canada in 1842, Tovey immigrated with his family to the American Midwest when he was six years old. During the Civil War, his twin brother Peter enlisted in the Union Army, while Mike drifted west and became a pony rider for Ben Holliday's Overland Mail and Express Company. Now, this was dangerous work, but it brought him to the attention of Wells Fargo. So in 1871, he signed on as a shotgun messenger on this really dangerous bandit-infested stage road from the Union Pacific Railhead at Corinne, Utah. You know where that is, Zeb? Yeah, not, I've been not, there many times. Yeah, not very far from us, just no. to the east and, and south. There. South of uh, Tremont. Yeah. And from there to Helena, Montana. Woo! So that was kind of his route, I guess, if you want to call it. Now, do you know where the route went? Not exactly. Um, I'm assuming from Corinne, it had to go up through Pocatello, Idaho Falls, up into Montana. Wouldn't you think that I would yeah. probably be the yeah. route? So, but Mike Tubby uh, quickly exhibited a pretty uh, brave, fearless uh, a guy. Uh, he was big guy. He stood more than six feet tall, two hundred pounds. And as one of his stage drivers' uh, friends recalled, "quote." Brave men don't talk much, and Toby would rather sit and tell you a funny story than blow about himself. Did they go back to, no, they weren't on stages on that route. They were on uh, private horseback, right? Well, no, this was, I believe, a stage line. So they ran from Corinne up to To Montana. I see, on a stage. Right. Oh, okay. And I think most of it was staged. I see. But then gradually moved into be trains. Now, in 1875, Wells Fargo officials sent Tubby to Nevada to guard the company's express boxes on the stage routes from Virginia City to Peoch and between Carson City, Nevada and the rowdy town of Bodie, California. Oh, now, boy. these were some pretty lawless areas at that yeah, time. really. But uh, anyway, Mike was on that route on September 4th, 1880, when he found himself walking in front of his stage in at night in the blackness, his lantern lit up the outlines of footprints in the middle of this dusty stage road. He'd stopped, okay? So he's out in front of the stage, and he sees footprints. 
Okay. Why were they out in the dark where they couldn't see with the stage? Well, they they still had the lanterns on the stagecoach. I see. And they went night and day. I see. Now, three hours earlier, a coach had been held up on the same highway, and Tuvy suspected that the bandits might be hanging around waiting uh, somewhere ahead of him. So he walked back to the stagecoach. He climbed into the driver's seat, rested his sawed-off shotgun across his knees. If the outlaws wanted to fight, he was ready for them. So now it's 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 a.m. This heavy stagecoach rumbled into a place called Sweetwater Summit. It's kind of a high spot, 6,800 feet high in Nevada's Sweetwater Mountains. And this is about 40 miles north of Bodie. Now, once again, the, the alert Wells Fargo man spotted footprints in the light of the coach's headlamps. So he got down with his lantern to inspect them. Then he got back on. He sat next to the driver. And there was a stage line agent by the name of Billings next to them. So now you got the driver, Tuvy, and Billings. Okay, There'd been so many holdups on the highway between Bodie and Carson City that a second Wells Fargo shotgun messenger, a guy by the name of Ton Woodruff, rode inside with the passengers. So they've got a lot of help right here. Firepower. Yeah, yeah. So the stage continued a short distance when Tuvy again saw the footprints. He climbed down, walked forward. He was inspecting the tracks. As the stage followed slowly behind him, suddenly a voice rang out from the blackness, from the dark. Quote, you son of a gun. (laughs) I'll bet that's what it was. You son of a gun. You thought you'd sneak up on us, did you? Yeah, this is a family show, Zeb. You yeah. know that. So, Mike. Well, you're always relating to the honesty and integrity of the old west. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm sure they never swore. <laughs> Mike Tevy had no way of knowing that the voice belonged to a guy named William Jones, an ex-convict. He and his partner Milt Sharp. Now, remember this, Milt Sharp. He comes into play later, and they'd been on a terrific spree of stage robbery for the past four months. They'd held up seven stagecoaches in California and Nevada. So they were on a run, and two of them in the last few days. So these two guys, uh, Jones and Sharp, uh, met the the winter before on a sheep ranch in the Sierra Nevada foothills and near Placer County, California. And Sharp, who was born in Missouri in 1846, had led an honest life. He was doing okay. But when he came west in 1866 and was working as a miner in California and Nevada, uh, he was a gentleman who did not smoke or drink. But Sharp had lost all his earnings, all his money gambling in the mining stocks. So Jones convinced him they could make a pretty good living by robbing stages. So Sharp and Jones joined company. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Mm. Now, so we're back to the robbery, okay? So Tubby, hearing Jones shout, he pretended to be afraid. He said, don't shoot. He said, I'll go back and get the box. And uh, Jones said, and I'm going to quote this, go back, you whelp, and if you make a move, we'll murder every mother's son of you. That's the way they talked. Uh Now, Jones, who then raised his rifle and fired twice, 
Now, the first bullet went right past Tuvy, struck one of the lead horses in the head, killing the animal instantly. That might not have been a very uh, good <laughs> So now shot. you've got a dead horse laying yeah, there. And uh, you need to pull the stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the second shot passed between the driver and Billings. Tovey dove for, dove for cover under the stagecoach, and then he whispered to Billings. He said, hand me down that shotgun. Okay. Uh-huh. So Billings tossed him the shotgun, jumped down from the box. So near, here we have Tovey and Billings. Now the guy that's inside the stage, Woodruff, they took cover behind the stage. At that, Jones yelled, the, the robber, Jones yelled, quote, if you, fire, if you fellows fire a gun, we will murder every son of a gun of you. <laughs> yep, there you go again with honest verbiage. Yes. Now, uh, so Tovey says, nobody's firing any guns. But he cocked the hammer on his uh, shotgun, and uh, he said, what's the matter with you? If you want anything, come along. Well, so Jones then stepped forward into the light of the headlamps. Now, remember, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Tuffy called out in a low, vo- low voice to the driver. He says, throw down the box quick, and let's get out of this. So he's still trying to egg Jones to come in, thinking that these guys are afraid of him. Well, at the same time, Tubby, he crouched, rested the barrel of his shotgun on top of the rear wheel. Just as Jones passed the body of the fallen horse that was dead, Tubby fired one barrel. The heavy load of buckshot tore into Jones's face and neck, killing him instantly. Milt Sharp, the other outlaw... Oh, yeah, I wondered what happened okay, to him. Okay, here he is. He's armed with a six-shooter. He opened fire, and Tuffy staggered as a bullet tore into his right arm. He shouted the bone below the elbow. He dropped his shotgun. Now, this is a tough guy. Drew his six-gun with his left hand and started shooting back. Okay, now by this time, Billings and Woodruff, the other two guys, they get their guns into play, and they are sending a volley of shots towards Sharp. Well, they saw him stagger and thought that they got him, and they chased him, but uh, he got away in the dark. So, at this point, uh, Tuffy, he's bleeding pretty bad. I mean, he got shot in the arm and had probably hit a, an artery or whatever. Sure, yeah. So. Uh, Woodruff and Billings, they carried him to a house a short distance down the road. And while the unarmed driver kind of tried to calm his team, and uh, he unhitched the dead horse because obviously he wasn't going to be any help. Well, now there's an understatement. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he heard a voice say, throw down the box. So here's Sharp. Shows up again. Oh, he turned around. He came, came back. back. He returned to finish the robbery. Oh. So the driver driver tossed down the the Wells Fargo box and Sharp chopped it open with a hatchet. Took out seven hundred and fifty dollars in cash. So the bandit Sharp he didn't know he couldn't see Jones's body because it lay under the team of the horses, and he asked which way his partner had gone. He he didn't know. Oh, he didn't know no. he was dead. Uh-uh. So the driver, fearing for his life, said he didn't know. So Sharp, his gun in one hand and his loot in the other, he took off into the darkness, and, and he kept calling out for Jones. He said, partner, where are you? Where? Oh, the driver could hear him yelling? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, but he didn't still didn't know that at that point that his partner was dead. Yeah. Well, Mike Tubby was loaded into a wagon for a 60-mile trip to Carson City. Now, this has got to be painful, right? He's been shot in the arm. Uh, he was treated, and soon he was up and about, his arm heavily bandaged. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo detectives searched uh, Jones's body, the outlaw, and found a bank book in his pockets with his name and a San Francisco address. Hmm. Okay? The plot thickens. 
Police detectives staked out the boarding house where they soon captured Milt Sharp. He went back. He went back. He was sentenced to 20 years in the Nevada State Prison, and Mike Tovey's action in the holdup had been a, a, a sign of Wells Fargo's reputation for safety and security uh, on the frontier. Wow. And we're not done. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Over the years, Tuffy was dispatched to wherever Wells Fargo needed a good, experienced messenger. I mean, he went to. Did use, he ever regain the use of his arm? You know, I don't. It not. I don't think he really ever totally did. Uh, it doesn't really tell me that. Uh. So, but he he recovered enough, and I don't, I don't know. But he went into Utah, Montana, Arizona, and finally back to Nevada. Now, in 1884, at Hawthorne, Nevada, he was shot and wounded by the, a guy by the name of Bill. Withrow. He was a gunfighter and, a, and actually a former Wells Fargo messenger whom Tubby had accused of helping in a stage holdup. So they Uh-oh. weren't friends. Oh. Well, in 1887, Mike Tubby was ordered to California where he rode the stage routes of Amador and Calaveras counties in the Sierra, Sierra Nevada foothills. Two years later, Milt Sharp escaped the Nevada State Prison. Oh, Milt's back. He's back in the picture. Following his escape, Wells Fargo officials received a letter supposedly written by Sharp warning them that they had better retire Tuvy or he would be killed. Kind of a warning. Well, later Tuvy received... of... Yeah. Later, Tuvy actually received a letter, again, signed by Sharp, warning him to leave California or, quote... Take the same medicine dealt out to poor Jones, the veteran messenger. Tubby ignored the threats. I see. He didn't think this was ever going to happen. Uh-huh. Then, at 7 o'clock on the morning of April 30th, 1892, Tubby boarded the stage in San Andreas, bound for a place called Sheep Ranch in the mountains, 16 miles to the east. The Wells Fargo box held a mine payroll of $4,000 in gold coin. Mm-hmm. The coach was a canvas topped and they called it quote a mud wagon so i'm i'm not i've never quite heard that term so what they say it's a it's like a big buggy with three seats so i'm assuming it's kind of like a covered wagon yeah of of, some kind yeah Yeah. so the front seat held tubby and the driver uh who was actually a 17 year old boy by the name of regio a 17 year old driver pretty young the next seat was occupied by johanna a young girl named, uh, age 15, and her sister, Louisa, age 14, and the rear seat held two more female passengers. So we got Tubby and uh, Raggio in the front, then we got the two sisters, and then we got two female passengers. Not much support. No, and I'm assuming this is kind of like it's out in the open, maybe yeah. not even covered at all. Well, as the coach reached a place called Willow Creek, a masked bandit came out from behind a big boulder above the stage road. Without a warning, he fired a single blast from his shotgun. Uh, two box shot struck the driver, Raggio, in the right shoulder and two more in his chest, piercing his right lung. He turned in his seat, and as blood poured from his mouth, he gasped, They've killed me, Tubby. Look out for the horses. Well, at the same time, another buckshot tore into Mike's uh, right arm, and several. So here's right arm got hit again. Wow. Another struck Johanna, the young girl, and it killed her. Well, a huge manhunt failed to capture the killer, and Tubby and Reggio actually recovered from their wounds. Oh, the boy didn't die. No, he didn't die. Uh, the 17-year-old. So in, eight, in May of 1893, Mike received another letter signed 
Sharp, saying that, quote, he had better leave Wells Fargo service and get out of the state, otherwise he would have to be killed. A few weeks later, on the afternoon of June 15, 1893, he boarded the stage bound for Jackson. At the reins of the six-horse team was Tubby's good friend, Clint Radcliffe, a veteran driver. Inside the coach were four passengers, including two women, a boy, and a fifth rode on top. It was 5.30 when the stage reached a kind of a lonely spot on, the, on this grade, five miles west of Jackson. Several of the passengers had a, heard a sudden shout for the stage to stop. Radcliffe made out nothing. He didn't hear this. And a split second later, gunfire shattered the evening stillness. A lone bandit stood behind a three-foot-high rock on the right side of the road, working with the lever of his forty-four Winchester. His first bullet struck Mike Tovey in the right side, fracturing one rib and rupturing his aorta. The Wells Fargo man started to fall from the stage, and Radcliffe yanked him upright, held him on, by the time Radcliffe managed to stop the coach, Mike Tovey was dead. Oh, my goodness. After having been hit that many times. Wow. Now, Milt Sharp. Let's get back to him. We only got a minute. I know. That's what I need. Milt Sharp was captured in Red Bluff in Northern California three months later, and he actually managed to prove that he had led an honest life since his escape, and he had alibis from his employers showing that he could not have been at the murder of uh, Tovey. And uh, they actually found that there was an ex-convict named William Evans. He was the guy that actually shot and killed Mike Tovey. So he was laid to rest in a cemetery. And the marker said, quote, he was shot and instantly killed by a robber who attempted to hold up the stage on which he was traveling as guard, erected as a tribute of respect by his employers. So that was on his headstone, uh, and he remains one of the most famous of the men who rode for Wells Fargo. Now, Mike wouldn't that Tubby. be a good movie? Sam? Oh man, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed that Mike story. Tubby. Mike yeah. Tovey, hero of Wells Fargo. Yeah. Okay. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. <laughs> 